Hey, 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 welcome back to Chew the Bible. It's your good friend, A.A. Ron. We're in Acts 26, reading out the Amplified Version. And uh, it's Memorial Monday on this lovely May 29th, 2023, 3.36 in the afternoon. And uh, in the last recording, we just read about, we called it Kangaroo Court. Paul had to be in prison for two years. For wrongfully imprisoned so i started to i was like but where did the actual what is kangaroos like why do they call it a kangaroo court were they like some australians or something like that that came up with this so i googled it and i found this article uh, in the guardian called kangaroo court what have marsupials marsupials got to do with white house politics it was written by some dude named Stephen Poole back on october 10th 2019 in reference to donald trump he said that this whole impeachment trial the impeachment trial of the time was a kangaroo court anyway but the article says the phrase kangaroo court originated in the 19th century America to describe any illegitimate court proceeding as were often held by mutineers or prisoners. Some fanciful etymologies link it to the practice of claim jumping, the attempt to seize land. See, yeah, claim jumping like a kangaroo, the attempt to seize land or some say leaping. The attempt to like leaping like a kangaroo claim jumping like a kangaroo, the attempt to seize land already claimed by another during the gold rush or to dodgy practices by an itinerant judges. Hopping from one dis jurisdiction to another. See, that's why they call it kangaroo court. Interesting. It says for a while, kangaroo courts were also called Mustang or Mustang courts. After the feral horses that roamed the plains, so perhaps the idea was just that of a court presided over by a wild beast. Mm. The familiar version might have one simply because kangaroos are more picturesque. They can bound, they can bound along at up to forty miles per hour and are classed as macropodines. How do we say that? Uh, macropodines, macropodines, P-O-D-I-N-E-S. That is Greek for having very large feet. <laughs> I'm a macropodine. I have large feet. Uh, I wear a size, it's weird. I wear like a size 14 and a half in basketball, but in like regular shoes, I wear a 12. That's weird. Anyway. All right. That is Greek for having very large feet, which might be thought preferable to having like the subject of the Congressional Inquiry, Tiny Hands. Anyway, all right. Tiny Hands, Big Feet. I don't know. All right. I don't know why I went down that rabbit hole, but we're there. Here we are. Acts 26. Paul was wrongfully tried in a kangaroo court situation and put in prison to appease the Jews for two years, wrongfully in prison. And here we are. Beige brother Paul's defense before Agrippa. Agrippa. <laughs> then Agrippa said to Paul, you are now permitted to speak on your own behalf. At that, Paul, at that, because y'all remember now that one dude, did he pop, pass away or did he leave? What happened to him? 
the one do uh Felix Then Agrippa said, let's see. Hold on, we skipping steps? My bad, y'all. We're, that was RK. We're in Acts 25, y'all, not Acts 26. We're in Acts 25. So yeah, Felix was a succeeded in office. <laughs> Talk about succession. That's some big show that a lot of people are watching right now. Um, I have not yet to see it, but everyone keeps talking about it. All right. Porcius Festus is the one who took over and wishing to do the Jews a favor. Felix left Paul imprisoned. So he's like, hey, now that's your, your problem now. Mr. Porcius Festus is actually a city in a suburb of St. Louis, I think, called Festus, Missouri or something like that. I don't know. Sounds familiar. All right, Acts 25. Beige brother Paul before Festus. Now Festus arrived in the province and three days later he went up to Jerusalem from Caesarea, Maritima. And there in Jerusalem, the chief priest and the leading men of the Jews brought charges against Paul before Festus and they repeatedly pleaded with him asking as a concession against Paul that he would have him brought to Jerusalem. Meanwhile, planning an ambush to kill him on the way, Festus answered that Paul was being held in custody in Caesarea Maritima and that he himself was about to leave shortly. So he said, let those who are in position of authority among you go there with me and if there is anything criminal about the man let them bring charges against him verse 6 now after festus had spent no more than eight or ten days among them he went down to caesarea and on the next day he took his seat on the tribunal the judicial bench and ordered paul to be brought before him after paul arrived the jews who had come down from jerusalem stood around him, bringing many serious charges against him, which they were not able to prove. While Paul declared in his own defense, see, yeah. While Paul declared in his own defense, I have done no wrong. He committed no offense either against the law of the Jews or against the temple or against Caesar. But Festus, wishing to do the Jews a favor, answered Paul, are you willing to go up to Jerusalem and stand trial there in my presence before the Jewish Sanhedrin on these charges? Paul said, I am standing before Caesar's tribunal where I ought to be tried. I have done nothing wrong to the Jews, as you also very well know. Therefore, if I'm guilty and have committed anything worthy of death, I do not try to escape death. But if there is nothing to the accusation to which these men are bringing against me, no one can hand me over to them. I appeal to Caesar, Emperor Nero. Then Festus, after conferring with the men with men who formed his council, answered, You have appealed to Caesar. To Caesar, you shall go. Now, so yeah, he's, it sounds like his case basically going up to the Supreme Court. And at that time, I believe yeah, Caesar was like the Supreme Court because the pre he was the president and the 
judge, the chief judge. Now, several days later, I could be wrong, but y'all go do y'all little research on that. Now, several days later, Agrippa the second. That's why another reason why the Bible is believable. And you can't just make this stuff up because it talks about real people like Caesar. We all know about everybody in school has studied about Roman history. These are actual people, actual places, actual events. And Paul interacted with these people in real that everybody can agree there was somebody named Emperor Nero. Yeah, Festus. I mean, yeah, it was somebody named Festus or somebody named Caesar, Emperor Nero. These are all real people, real places. Can't make this stuff up. Now, several days, this actual history here. Verse 13. Now, several days later, Agrippa II, the king and Bernice, <laughs> poor Bernice. Sorry to those named Bernice, but I think this is a funny name. All right, and Bernice, isn't that the name of the lady on Sanford and Sons? No, that was Ethel. Bernice. That's somebody in a sitcom. Some oh, I was on a show called Designing Women. Alice Ghostly as Bernice Clifton. But where is there? I feel like that name is somebody in another show. Oh, well. There you go. Some show called Designing Women with Meshach Taylor. <laughs> there was one black dude surrounded by women. I remember, I've never actually watched that show. Anyway, we're getting distracted. All right, Bernice. My bad, y'all. Now, several days later, Agrippa II, the king, and Bernice, his sister, arrived at Caesarea and paid their respects to Festus, the new governor. The king. Who, who? I'm trying to like picture all this stuff. Anyway, all right. While they were spending many days there, Festus laid Paul's case before the king, saying, "There is a man here who was left as a prisoner by Felix." Verse fifteen. When I was at Jerusalem, the chief priest and the elders of the Jews told me about him and brought charges against him, petitioning for a sentence of condemnation against him. Interesting use of words there. A sentence of condemnation. That's what Satan tries to do us. Constantly sentence us. By condemnation. Makes a lot of false claims against us. That's the thing. When you become a Christian. You accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. The blood of Jesus covers all your sins. Past, present, and future. Sins. Even the sins of omission. That you don't even know you're committing. Right? Because. Yeah, if we say we have no sin, then we are a liar. Yeah, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And so even if you didn't actually do a sinful act, you committed sins in your heart or sins of, yeah, once again, omission, things God has told you to do and you haven't done them. Disobedience, that's a sin. So for those of y'all that think, yeah, because you act holier than other people or act more righteously than other people, and that's, 
what's getting you into heaven. We're not saved based on our works or what we do, right? So anyway, what I'm trying to say is, so the devil constantly comes along, Satan, the accuser, he's like this kangaroo court, constantly bringing accusations against us. Even though there might be some truth in what he has to say, yeah, you might have stole something last week. You might have had a lustful thought about somebody. You might have cheated on the test. You might have um, had an affair. You name it. Fill in the blank. Fill in the sin, right? And the devil's constantly trying to remind you of your past, present, yeah, past and present sins, right? And try to give you no hope for your future. You like a lot of times you've ever ever talked to somebody that's like a backslidden Christian or you was in the church at one point, but they no longer are or they never were to begin with. They might have grown up in a Christian home, but they like don't have anything to do with God. A lot of times, yeah, they say, oh, I'm the black sheep, you know, or if I were to go into church right now, I'll burn or what's the point? What's the point of even trying? I tried, you know, or if I try, I'm never good enough. And it's like, no, that's not the point. You give your life to Christ and he automatically makes you new. You're a new creature in Christ. You've been bought with a price. You're now seated at the right hand of God in heavenly places with him. Sin no longer has any control or dominion over you. Yeah, you may or you might still sometimes act like your old nature, but that's part of the sanctification process until you receive your glorified body, right? And we no longer have to wrestle again with sin anymore. You're saved, then you're sanctified, then you're glorified. Right now, any Christians that have given their life to Christ are in the period of sanctification, right? Becoming more and more like Jesus. So, but the devil is constantly bringing these sentences of condemnation against us. Just like these folks. Verse 16. I told them that it was not the custom of the Romans to hand over any man for punishment before the accused meets his accusers face to face. And has, I lost, I forgot the name of what I was going to call this recording. I had a name for it. I try to come up with names as I'm reading, but now I'm blanking out. Oh, it'll come to me. Kangaroo Court Part 2. Oh, well. KC2. I told them that it was not the custom of the Romans to hand over any man for punishment before the accused meets his accusers face to face and has the opportunity to defend himself against the charges. Verse 17. So after they arrived together here, I did not delay, but on the next day took my place on the tribunal in order that the man be brought before me. When his accusers stood up, they brought no charges against him of crimes that I was expecting, neither civil nor criminal actions. Instead, they had some points of disagreement with him about their own religion and about one Jesus, a man who had died, but whom Paul kept asserting and insisting over and over to be alive. Verse 20. And I, being at a loss as to how to investigate these things, asked whether he was willing to go to Jerusalem and be tried there regarding these matters. But when Paul appealed to be held in custody for a decision by the Emperor Nero, or ordered him to be kept in custody until I could send him to Caesar. Then Agrippa said to Festus, I would like to hear the man myself tomorrow. Festus replied, you will hear him. 
Here we go. Paul before Agrippa. Verse 23. So the next day, Agrippa and his sister Bernice, not to be confused with Bernice from Designer Woman. Is that what it's called? Designing Women. <laughs> so the next day, Agrippa and his sister Bernice came with great pageantry and they went into the auditorium accompanied by the military commanders and the prominent men of the city. At the command of Festus, Paul was brought in. Then Festus said, King Agrippa and all you gentlemen present with us, present with us. You see this man, Paul, about whom all the Jewish people appealed to me, both at Jerusalem and here, loudly insisting that he ought not to live any longer. But I found that he had done nothing worthy of death. However, since he appealed to the emperor Nero, I decided to send him to Rome. But I have nothing specific about him to write to my Lord. So I have brought him before all of you, and especially before you, King Agrippa, so that after the investigation has taken place, I will have something to put in writing. For it seems absurd and unreasonable to me to send a prisoner to Rome without indicating the charges against him. Basically, this is all ludicrous. A waste of the tax Roman taxpayers' dollars. These kangaroo court trial. Oh man. BRB. Romans three twenty three says, "For all have sinned, or missed the mark, or veered off the path, and fallen short." of the glory of God or God's perfect standard. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of the cost of that sin is death or eternal separation from God. But the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Romans 5a says, But God demonstrated his love toward us or showed his love toward us in that while we were still yet sinners, Jesus Christ died for us. Romans 10 verse 9 through 10 says that if we will confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God has raised him from the dead, we will, not might be, not maybe, we will be saved. For with our hearts we believe we are now in right standing with God, and with our mouths we confess that we are now saved. Lastly, Romans 10 verse 13 says that whosoever, anybody or everybody, who calls upon the name of the Lord, they will be saved. So if you never asked Jesus into your heart or you've walked away from him and you would like to rededicate your life to him, you can just simply say, dear God, I know I'm a sinner. I know my sin deserves to be punished. I believe Jesus Christ is the son of God who died for me and rose from the grave. I want to turn from my sin and trust Jesus Christ alone as my savior. Thank you for the forgiveness and everlasting life I can now have through faith in Jesus. In Jesus' mighty precious name, I pray. Amen.